This is a Cherish podcast, and I'm your host, Michael Boudreau. I'll be taking you for an inside look behind the glamorous facade of the interior design industry. At a time when every aspect of the business, from sourcing to trends to marketing to dealing with clients, is undergoing rapid change. We may have declared independence from Britain in 1776, but Americans have never let go of their love of British style. So much of American architecture and design over the past 500 years owes a debt to, or was directly imported from, the British Isles. English design and craftsmanship have waxed and waned in popularity in this country, but have never gone away. And now, after a few decades of minimalism and mid-century modernism, a new generation of younger American designers are looking to English interiors for new inspiration, whether grand country houses, chic Georgian townhouses, or intimate city flats. But how can Americans adapt the richly layered, pattern-rich, and gently patinaed English look that we find so attractive and inspiring? After all, for the most part, American homes lack the grand architecture spacious high-ceiling rooms, and elegant detailing of British homes. And most of us haven't inherited a trove of gracious Georgian antiques, grand portraits and landscape paintings, and sturdy, comfy upholstered pieces assembled by our families over generations. Not that many of our ancestors went on the grand tour and brought back Roman antiquities. Today we have with us two women who understand British style as well as anyone and want to see it become available and accessible to the world. Sue Jones, who after a career in fashion working with Jasper Conran, founded the brand Oka in 1999 with her sister-in-law Annabelle Astor and friend Lucinda Waterhouse, has since seen the company grown to encompass a full range of products that celebrate British style and craftsmanship, from sofas and bookcases to bar stools and cushion covers, with an extensive array of lamps, tableware, and other accessories. Oka recently opened its first U.S. showroom in Houston, and in two weeks launches, I'm happy to say, an online shop with Cherish. Hello, Sue. Hi. Nice to be here. Thank you for having me. I'm also pleased to have with us renowned designer Penny Morrison, whose unique ability to merge classic antiques with contemporary pieces has transformed grand English country houses, including her own, chic townhouses and apartments, and even Caribbean hotels. Penny brings a global view to British style and has designed an extensive line of fabrics and wallpapers that reflect her love of exotic textiles, including Turkish embroideries and Japanese indigos, as well as lighting, accessories, and tableware, including a new collection of melamine pieces for Oka. Welcome, Penny. Hello. Thank you very much for including me. I'm so happy you're here. So I want to get a sense from both of you. Let's start with you, Penny. How do you think Americans' feelings toward British style has change over the past couple of decades. Have you been getting more American clients? Have you noticed more sales of your fabrics in the U.S.? Definitely. I mean, I think Americans generally spend a lot more money on interior design than English people do. But the English make it look so much better. I know. (laughs) They mend things and put them together. But I'm always amazed when I come over like to the legends of La Cienega, there are thousands of interior designers. They've all got millions of jobs on the go. And I think the thing is, in America, people have two or three houses usually. And, you know, and every time they start, they start from scratch and buy absolutely everything. In England, when you go get excited about a new job in the country and you go along thinking, whoopee, you've got this big grand house to do. And inevitably you get there and you find 
all the old bits have been brought up from the cell and all they want is a new cushion cover and a new cover on the chair. They don't, the English will always try and use what they've got there rather than go off and buy new stuff, which can be quite annoying for the interior designer involved. But it creates that look of lived inness, which is what the charm is of England. But I think the interesting thing is that, you know, we talk about grand English design and I thought it always veers towards the country house. But one of the big things is that in the sort of 1930s and so on, it was, it was and, and earlier than that, there were a lot of rich American heiresses who were hauled over here to marry impoverished lords and people in their castles. Yes, so a they, lot of American money has contributed. So, yeah, so the American ladies brought the money and I presume some of their style. And then, of course, you've got the likes of Nancy Lancaster who came over and Surrey Maugham, who was this huge influence on, on English. They were the totally. first Totally. The decorate. connection has so, always been there. What's so strange is they were Americans, but who brought the style, you know, and that was the beginning of the Colfax era. Right. They did these amazing things, I think, because they were also slightly more brave in doing these incredible sort of murals on the walls and things, which English people hadn't done so much, unless they were very old chinoiserie things or something. They didn't do all these braver things. And and really, um, I think experiment with amazing colors and things was far more traditional before they came along and influenced it. But it's been sort of embroiled now into, it's now become the English country house look, although that was the American start of it. Right. Well, American money, American energy have always <laughs> done well with the Brits. But, you know, as I said, we didn't inherit all that stuff. So we have to start new. So, Sue, I wanted to ask you, like, Oak has been around now 20 years, 21 years, I think. And you just opened your first U.S. shop. So... Was this a, was this a timing thing? What what prompted you to do this at this point? When did you feel that there was an openness? Because decorating in America, there's been a lot of mid-century Italian, mid-century French, forties. The British look, which you know I love, has not been as prominent. But clearly, you feel this is the moment. I'd love to know why. Well, when we first thought about going into America, I did a whistle stop tour of five or six cities where I went and I was, you know, I was pretty daunted by the whole thing and the competition and how many other great stores and outlets that you do already have and very established in America. And I wondered how possibly we were going to find a niche for ourselves there as we've done over here. And Having gone to these five stores, all very different, east and west coast, south, Texas, I started to look at them in a slightly different way. And however brilliant they are, they don't have so much of an emphasis on lifestyle. It is much more to do with product and the product that they stock in very large quantities with multiple choice. And in fact, that's not really what we do at Oka. The sourcing, the designing, and most of all, the curating is a really important part of our business. We create the lifestyle and then offer it to the customer. Now, it's not a one-track pony. There are all sorts of lifestyles that you can get from the ochre look. It isn't like some of the others that you you have to only like one look to get the most out of ochre. We can do beach houses or penthouses or country houses. But I did want to come across as a lifestyle brand rather than a product furniture brand. And I came back feeling not 
overconfident because that's not my way, but I felt that we could make a niche for ourselves if we kept to the Britishness, kept to the comfort factor, kept to the living factor, went back and tried to help people with confidence to be able to to do a few more groundbreaking things that weren't the way that Americans have always done it before. And so that's how we set about it. We will have to make some changes uh, because there's so many different aspects of the American market, not least climate. I would add the first thing uh, to the list. But um, we we went in with in mind to take what we've created over here into America. What I think is so brilliant about Oka in the UK, and I've always looked jealously that I wasn't ever part of the Oka group, but you go into the Oka showrooms in England and because you've done these incredible room sets, the showroom isn't just lots of bits of furniture and different things. You walk in and there's a space. And I think a lot of people, particularly young people with flats or people who don't want or can't afford to hire an interior designer can walk into a space in the Oka showroom and look at a room and it's, it's got everything from the fireplace to the table settings to everything. And they think this is the look I want. And they can just go and say, I'll have everything in this room set. And it, because it's, it's so well put together. One word that Sue mentioned, I think is crucial, is comfort. And Penny, I'd love to get your take on this because I think a lot of Americans think of their homes as kind of show places and they want them to look mm-hmm. fantastic and impress their guests. But maybe when people actually use the rooms... I, People freak out a little bit, almost. And whereas the English thing is absolutely pour a cup of tea, put your feet on the ottoman, spread the magazines out. I think it's a much more relaxed way of doing it. Even beautiful though it is and elegant though it is, you treat these beautiful, precious objects very casually, you know, and you get a a stain and it's a patina, whatever. You know, we don't (laughs) think that way. So how, how do you go about getting people to understand that they really should live and use in their room? Well, when I'm decorating for somebody, the first thing I'll say, if you haven't got a, a very large budget, the most important thing to have is incredibly well-made, good quality, comfortable, and really deep sofas, fantastically comfortable beds and bed linen. I'd rather see a bare bedroom with a really comfortable bed and lovely linen sheets and a concrete floor and two pots as, as, as bedside tables. So, the key comfort comes from those things. I think really big rugs. I think a lot of times you find in people who do new houses, they don't have big enough rugs on the floor. So there's a huge amount of bare floor space. And that's great in a beach house. But if you're in a place where they're cold winters or you, know, you want to make a cozy study or library, you need to have big rugs. And, and obviously, if they look a bit more worn out, so much the better. Right. Right. Although I think there's a much bigger selection in the States than in the UK for those. <laughs> but I always say to people, when I'm doing your room, I think you want to feel that you could sleep on your sofa like a double bed. And as you say, put your feet up. Most English people have about six dogs in the bed or on the sofa. And that's part of the part of the setting. I think, I think there's less um, pristineness and having the perfect room. If there are a few crooked or squashed cushions, it doesn't really matter. It's not about... I think a lot of times Americans decorate as though it's being done for a photograph. And and if you take a photograph of your own room, you can immediately see why it looks so untidy. But when you're in it, it doesn't look like that. Right, 
Right. I think that's true. I've said this a few times. I think people decorate for the camera as opposed for the people in the room. Mm. I I always use the word precious. Don't be too precious Mm. and save your best for every day. Don't just bring it out because it's a special occasion. Use everything you've got and get pleasure and and let it wear out a bit. I think there's nothing worse than a brand new leather chair. The older it is, the better. Right. I think the British look upon age and marks and slight deterioration as an asset, whereas I think perhaps mm. in America, it's, oh, my gosh, we better change that immediately and get a new one. Right, Whereas refinish we, it or whatever. Get, exactly. Mm. We, we actually actively put things out in the sun to let them fade uh, because mm. we, we like that look rather than buying these fiber fabrics that, you know, are completely bomb-proof. You can drive a car over them. You can leave them out 24-7. But we don't really go in for that sort of thing in England. I don't think it's wrong. As I've said before, I don't think anything's wrong. But it's just a, a concept. It's, it's the way we think naturally. I think when I started doing my fabrics, one of the reasons I started doing them, although it was at the time I was doing this hotel and some baths, was because all the fabrics I saw were so harsh and hard and bright. And I wanted them all to be linen and look as if they'd been creased and been pulled out of an old trunk. And so I purposely printed all my fabrics with a slight, not misprint, but just so there were, there were gradients in the, in the, in the dyes. So they looked like old used things. It just there's so much more charm. To that. And that gives you the starting point right. to make the whole room look great. Right. Now, my idea, and you can tell me if you think I'm wrong, but I have a feeling... As I was saying, there's a resurgence of interest in British style in America, especially younger designers. I think they're looking for something new. And I think that the two series, Downton Abbey and The Crown, had an enormous impact. Would you guys agree with that? Sue, what do you think? Well, I agree with you. I think it had an enormous impact. It's not really real life, though, is it? (laughs) No, we didn't say it was real life. I mean, um, most of Americans I speak to think we spend all day drinking tea. I don't even like tea. (laughs) (laughs) But you do have some beautiful teacups that you sell. We have some pretty beautiful teacups. But I think... Yes, I think the English country house style had an enormous revival because of those two series, which were equally popular here as well. But that isn't totally indicative of where everybody lives over here. Although I think it's a very aspirational way to live. And and it it isn't so much to do with the scale of the house. It's to do with the way people live in it. It can be a tiny cottage, but you can still live in that same comfortable, relaxed way Mm. with beautiful things around you, with the dogs on the sofa. You know, if my dogs like the sofa, then it's fine with me. That's the Geiger counter for a a good (laughs) They rule the roost. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I do remember years ago when we first started the business, we had a a journalist come down to Annabelle's home to interview us, and they were slightly taken aback to find the three of us on the floor and seven dogs on the sofa, which was perfectly normal to us. 
Hi, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you're enjoying our podcast. My name is Anna Brockway, and I'm the co-founder and president of Cherish. If you're a designer who's struggling with long lead times from suppliers and increasingly impatient clients, now is the time to shop with us. Our vintage antique and one-of-a-kind inventory is ready to ship right now. To learn more, visit Cherish.com. That's C-H-A-I-R-I-S-H.com. And now back to the show. One thing I do think has changed. I mean, I think the mid-century look, and, and it has been much bigger in America than here. When I think of mid-century, I always think of Peter Dunham because Peter, the last you know ten years, has always gone off to these French flea markets and antique fairs and bought tons of mid-century stuff and brought it back and has become ingrained. And I think the English are trying to get that. Still, it's, it's still fairly new. But the other thing I've noticed extraordinary in England is that. Young people now, all all of people I all people my age, my friends have all kept lots of old brown furniture in the attics. And when their children are decorating now, they don't want any of that stuff at all. So it's either being painted into bright jolly colours, which is an English look and a, a different sort of English look. It's more, I suppose, it's more Londony, more penthousey sort of look, mm-hmm. rather than the country house look. And I think that's for people in their 20s. When they get into their 30s and 40s, they're beginning to go back to chintz and things now, which is so brilliant. The thing that really struck me too, I I 100% agree with Penny, but the thing that I've noticed the biggest change on is this minimalism as opposed to maximalism. And maximalism to me, thank God, is coming back. Uh, You know, and I spend a lot of time looking at Cabana magazine and I'm very influenced by that. And I personally, I mean, I'd have to have a great deal of therapy before I became a minimalist. I'm not saying I hate it. I'd love to be like that, but it's just not in my DNA. So I'm loving this resurgence of maybe a bit of clutter, lots of books everywhere, things that are out all the time and not just all tucked away and hidden away. So I think that's been another huge influence. Yeah. I think that when I walk into someone's house, the house I like most is, is where I don't know where anything comes from. I don't want people to say, oh, that fabric came from there and that lamp came from there. It, it's, it's where every item in the room tells a story. And I think that's what makes a room look so interesting. It's not things that are put there to decorate the room. they put there to remind the occupants of nice little happy memories from their past. Yeah, so a trip it's not about, or a graduation party, yeah, whatever. Right. It's not just about creating that sort of comfortable English country house look because that's it, it sort of happens by itself in England because you've got an item and you look around and think, where can I put this? I'll stuff it over there. So it kind of happens much more than you can't just look at a blank canvas and say, right, I'm going to decorate this room. You can put the basics in, but it never looks like anything until the owner, the occupant has added all their little memory treasures. Right. It's like an accumulation over yeah, time too. Exactly. I mean, when you first move into a house, it, it, there's nothing. Yeah, it's going to change as you fill in the spaces, the bookcases, all of that stuff. It does make a huge difference. And I agree with you. It's so wonderful when you go to somebody's home and you notice things over time. As you're sitting there the second hour, you're at a cocktail or dinner, you notice, oh, I didn't realize that. And I think the British style is an exemplar of that. It's not all about show places. It's not all about dazzling the eye the minute you walk in the room. It's sort of a subtle seduction in a way. And Sue, I'd love to get your sense of how, other than buying a lot of stuff or putting up a lot of family photos, how do you think Americans can do that? Because, you know, the disadvantage for America is 
There's a lot of great houses in America, but there's a lot of not such great architecture and houses, not such great apartments. So what do you feel that the British style, and and Oka in particular, can bring to the American consumer to help make their homes more British, more welcoming, more sustaining over time as you spend time there? That's exactly where I am coming from, because I don't like to decorate on trend. I mean, if someone asked me what, what I think might be the popular colour next March, I, I, I complete blank. I have no idea. <laughs> I was always told by, by Jasper when I, when I worked for him, who was a, he's a brilliant decorator himself. That Yes, he is. The best colour in the world is your favourite colour. And so I try and encourage people. I don't try and dictate to them because who's to say I'm right all the time. I try and encourage people to go with their instincts and try things and not match them, mix them as much as they possibly can and enjoy the way it layers up. I think it's rather insulting to tell someone that they decorate their house this year with things that I'm telling them to buy. And then next year, it's all out of fashion. So I I hate the idea of decorating being fashion. I like the longevity. It's the same the way I buy my clothes. I don't expect to throw them all out next year, but I might add a bit to it. And I love quality, but I'm, I'm not snobbish about that either. I mean, I like something that it doesn't matter if it's cost 10p or thousand pounds. That's not interesting to me. If it's the right thing, it's the right thing. I am a great believer in the completely useless object. You know, I think (laughs) that it is wonderful to have those sort of things around the house, whatever they are. They could be a talking point. As Penny was quite rightly saying, it's part of the character. So, my experience of what I found in America is they, they feel a bit safer when they, they're given a color palette and they must stick to it rigidly, even the wall art, which surprised me right. a lot because I've never bought a picture for the color or because it matches my curtains, for example. I so, do. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'll quickly say that, you know, we, although, you know, we sell probably more furniture without the accessories that I was talking about before, which is the lifestyle, would disappear. It would be a lot of bits of furniture. This way we're able to get, to help people get the character that they might need, literally from all over the world. And that I love that idea. So that's one of the important parts of the business, I think. I mean, so many people want to buy the factory-made conveyor belt stuff but I don't. And, and actually, I find that a lot of our suppliers love having, they, they may do work with some of the big, you know, high street chains, but they want to keep this artisanal craftsmanship alive and will help us as much as they possibly can. And a lot of our things are hand painted, hand finished. And so they're not a standard size. I mean, within a tolerance, of course they are, but it is a huge part of what we do and hopefully will continue. The British have always been rather like the Dutch. They're traders by nature. and we've Travelers all, and traders. Yeah. Travelers and traders. And we've always traveled. I mean, I always say that in America, it's very easy for people to put their feet up and say, well, I won't, because you don't need to. You have everything there. You have also, the Also, it's further for us. It's more of a schlep. 
you know, you've got the mountains, you've got the climates, you've got the fabulous food, yeah, wonderful wine. But we don't have that in England, especially. I mean, we've got one climate pretty much, except for poor old <laughs> Scotland. But we go to France for warms. Exactly. And, you know, each of these European countries and farther afield were known for certain brilliant executions by the paintings, statues, whatever it was, you know, as you mentioned, the Grand Tour, you know, Istanbul, the Far East, mm-hmm. India is just awash with mm-hmm. talent right. and wonderful. I mean, I know Penny's been many, many times to India too, and it's all around you and people don't mind spending the time doing it. They don't mind that it's very labour intensive and it's also, it takes a long time to learn. But it's so strange when you talk about the whole point of this conversation, I think was about the English style of decorating and so on. And there is obviously, there's the old powered chairs and upholstered things and beautiful old fabrics and so on. But some of the things that have been very much the English look, particularly of the 30s, 40s and 50s, are like the wonderful old cane and wicker garden chairs and things like that. Mm-hmm. And it, those don't originate in England, and I suppose, and they're very, very in, in fashion now. Well, it's been global. I mean, that's yeah. the thing about the British has been very open to the world, you know, maybe too open if you talk about the Elgin marbles and things like that, brought back too many things. But, you know, that openness, I think, is something that's part of the great charm of a British mm. interior. It's like, whether it's a little Indian bone inlaid table or, you know, beautiful embroidered Turkish textiles that we were talking mm. about. I think putting that stuff together, you Brits make look effortless. And I don't think it is effortless. And it's harder for Americans, I think, often to pull that well, stuff well, together. Well, Penny said something interesting to me earlier. She said that there's not really any rules. If she likes it, then it's right. 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 And, you know, you've got to go with that and be confident enough to do I it. I think confidence is the big word here because people so often say to me, do you, what can you put together? Can you put checks and stripes together with flowers? And can you put red and pink together? I said, it just doesn't matter. It's, a, it's about confidence in yourself and the freedom to, if you put, you know, if I try a pink cushion on a red sofa, I don't look at that and think, oh God, will anybody else like this? If I find it pleasing, then I'll do it. My daughter came into my house the other day and said, Mom, why have you got a pink sofa with red cushions on? I said, well, I don't know. I just thought they looked nice and I had the cushions. So, <laughs> as, so it's not about trying to really look. It's almost by not trying. And if you go, it drives me mad when I go to antique shops or antique fairs with friends. I said, God, that's a pretty table. Why don't you buy it? And they said, well, where can I put it? I said, it doesn't matter if you like it. Take it home. And you'll find, find somewhere. somewhere. You'll yeah. find somewhere it works fantastically. But if you go out and look for a particular piece for that corner, it's jolly hard to find. So you almost have to go and buy the pieces because you love them and then walk around the house until you find a space for them. And sometimes it works out I the best. I think that's so true. It's the same with buying clothes. You can never find yeah. If you go out looking for the perfect pair of black pants, you'll, you'll never, never find, find them. Yeah. Right. And when you see exactly. them buying, you, I, think once, I think confidence is one word, and I think spontaneity is another big word for this English look. It's, and it's about having fun. Just go out and have fun, buy these little things, You know, whether it's an old funny old book or a funny old, I don't know, scale made into a It doesn't matter what it is. If you think it's got to have fun, charm. Yeah, funky and cool and, and got some sense of amusement, just buy it and... and fit it in. Now, Sue, Penny mentioned the importance of confidence, and I wanted to get a sense from you about how did you have the confidence to start Oka, you and Annabelle and Lucinda? Because, you know, there's a lot of British brands 
that are very well known and revered in the U.S. You know, there's Jam, there's Chesney's, there's Fawn. So what gave you the confidence to feel that you, with the creation of Oka, were putting something out into the world that wasn't already there? What was your guiding principle behind Oka? Oh, gosh, I'd love to say that we had it all planned to the (laughs) nth degree, but that would really not be true. At the beginning, when we decided to go to the Far East to start our search for factories, you know, we didn't have any contacts. We didn't have a plan. We didn't have very much money. We had to do everything ourselves. We had to unload containers and, you know, there was nothing any of us didn't turn our hands to. So it wasn't something that we were aware of happening. But I will say our customers were incredibly supportive in the early days. You know, they were really, really kind because we very enthusiastic. And and we got some good PR as well, which was very helpful. But, you know, it didn't happen overnight. But I think one of the things you had was that when you first started, all three of you were known for your good taste and your enthusiasm. And I think your first clients really were were your friends, weren't they? All your friends came in because they knew anything they bought from you would be in very good taste. And that was the key thing. And from then the word spread and and the and the business grew. Well I I mean I remember the first time we found some chairs we liked and Lucinda and I said, Oh my gosh, do you think we could manage to sell 36 chairs? It's an awful lot. <laughs> and um, I remember saying, well I'll just have to buy them all. We were not smug and sure of how it was going, but we knew what we liked. We knew what we should do. And I think also we were pretty humble because we learnt the hard way. We learnt by making mistakes. And we waited for the time when we could move on to the next stage and open our first store and shop. And then the internet happened, which has changed everybody's life. And so it wasn't an overnight thing. I can't believe where the last 22 years have gone, actually. But I do think that like having a store or showroom that really expresses the full range of what a brand does or your vision is really important. And I'm very happy that you've opened one in Houston. I wish you'd open one in in New York. Well, so do I, yes. Well, we're coming up to Connecticut. Oh, good. Where? Uh, Westport. Oh, fantastic. Next fantastic. spring, I which is very, very exciting. And so we're getting closer up the uh, East Coast and also that's Dallas. Fantastic. So that's the exciting next six months. That'll make a huge difference, I think, right. because if you walk, as I say, I love just going into the Oka showroom and the Fulham Road and just wandering around the room. Well, they are room sets, really, and you can go and sit in there and you, and you really feel you're in somebody's home. Yes, and I, right. I, you have to be quite strong-minded about it because, you know, the commercial side will say, well, you've got to have more product to sell. Mm. You've got to stack it up. But we've always said, listen, let's give the things room to breathe. Let's let it really look as though that's the way you can live in it. You know, it is it is difficult because, you know, we have to have quite large stores in order to make right. this work. Right. But that we have found is, is as I've said earlier, is one of the things we hope will set us a bit apart from everybody right. else. And it's that very British thing of mm. sit down, relax, mm. not being overwhelmed. It's like things to discover over time. I think that's that's so great that you're you're doing that and bringing that in 3D. But, you know, internet is important and it's very exciting that you're going to be selling Oka items, I think, in two weeks. 
in August on Cherish, which because, of course, we love Cherish and Cherish is very exciting. And we're so happy that you're invading the U.S. And Penny, you've long been, you have long (laughs) had many fans here in the United States, and I know you're only going to have more. And I just want to thank you both for being part of the Cherish podcast. And welcome to the family. Thank you. It's been fun. I wish we were in New York with you. Thanks for listening to the Cherish podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please tell a friend or colleague. Or even better, go to the iTunes store and post a review. We appreciate your help in spreading the word. And we would love your ideas for future episodes. Please email us at podcast at cherish.com. The Cherish podcast is produced by Britta Muller and edited by Max Solomon of Hanger Studios in New York. Until next time.